Our scripture reading this morning is from Proverbs 17, verse 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. This is the word of the Lord. I take humor very, very seriously. No, I really do. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. I did my Ph.D. dissertation on humor and had fun doing it, which was kind of uh, unprecedented, at least given the folks I knew who were slogging through their own thesis. And and, and it was not a lot of fun for folks, but I loved it. I take uh, my ministry very seriously. I know that you do as well. I think it's important, though, that we not take ourselves so seriously all the time for very different reasons. Uh, Grady Nutt had a huge impact on my life. How many of y'all remember Grady Nutt, who was a great storyteller, humorist? Uh, I was baptized on the same Sunday with his son, Toby. And uh, Grady was a longtime deacon at our church. And Grady had a huge impact on me. I think I did my dissertation on humor because of Grady. And more than anything, Grady taught me that humor isn't just cracking jokes or being funny. Humor is a way of looking at life. It's a way of seeing things and seeing ourselves as we really, really should. Jesus himself used humor a lot. We have that well-known picture of the laughing Christ. Uh, You might have heard of a guy named Elton Trueblood, who was the great Christian philosopher of the 20th century. He wrote a marvelous book called The Humor of Christ, where he unpacks 30 instances where Jesus himself used humor, primarily in his teachings to make a point, but frequently he used some rather sharp, biting humor to really lambast religious people who were being too self-righteous or too pious. That's when, that's when he used it. Jesus used humor a lot. The Old Testament also takes humor seriously. Thus, we have our passage that Sally just read, Proverbs 17, 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. I want you to look at the first phrase there. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Study that in the ancient Hebrew, and it literally says, and I'm not making this up, go check me on this, a cheerful heart makes the medicine work better. That's what it means. And and, and as Mac was saying, that's what laughter does. It has a healing power. Uh, It releases endorphins, those feel-good hormones uh, that, that make you just feel better. It also gets rid of stress hormones, reduces them. So you have Dr. Norman Cousins who said something to the effect of hearty laughter is a good way to jog internally without having to go outdoors. Or Dr. Martin Kataria who said this, I have not seen anyone dying of laughter, but I know millions who are dying because they are not laughing. So that's two very credible witnesses there, doctors and God, saying take your medicine, (laughs) laugh. Now, the chief ingredient of any bit of humor that you find, and I noticed this when I studied, is incongruity. That's the best way to put it. It's incongruity, whether it's a joke or something you see, something you hear. It's something that you didn't see coming, something that's unexpected. And think about it. The gospel is all about incongruity, things you didn't expect. And because of those incongruities, it empowers us to laugh. And the laughter empowers us to see ourselves more clearly and even the gospel more clearly. So let's break this down a little bit. First of all, the gospel empowers us to laugh about our fallenness. To laugh about our fallenness. Some of you have heard of Zero Mostel. He was a great actor and comedian, was in movies like The Producers. 
uh, with Gene Wilder. He was also a Tevi in uh, Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. And he once said this, laughter is a sense of proportion and a power of seeing yourself from the outside. And I think that's well put. Humor and laughter help us to see ourselves more clearly, who we really are. And who we really are at the core is a fallen people. We're a fallen people. Now, I took a little license here. I'm, I'm going to show you a video that depicts fallenness in, in, in a way. It's, it's outtakes from a Mitsubishi commercial in a local uh, dealership up in Minnesota. And God love him, the, the polar bear is just not as solid on the ice as you would expect. I would say, yes, he is fallen. Let's, let's see that. I wore the wrong socks. I wore the wrong socks. Have you tried the hot dogs here? He's like, ah. Do you have to go home for the rest of the day? <laughs> He's not going to be much use to us, I don't think. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't get my deposit. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't get my deposit back. And Wiper Mitsubishi is a proud sponsor of Golden Goat for Hockey. We are a fallen people. You see where I'm going. See what I did with that. Uh, you know, the incongruity of it happens whenever we get a little too high on ourselves. Really, that's the bottom line. We see ourselves more ideally than we really are, and then something unexpected trips us up, and we realize just how indeed, yes, uh, fallen we are. For Adam and Eve, they thought things were all great, to the point that they started perhaps to feel a little bit too high on themselves, and then this incongruity comes along, and entices them to sample the fruit, let's say. And they actually think that they can be godlike, and then comes, as you know, the fall. They're naked and ashamed, and indeed they fall. And you know Romans 3, 23, that well-known passage, that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, at the center of it all, there's nothing funny about sin, about missing the mark of God's original intention. But the amazing thing is the good news is right around the corner. And that grace is coming only if you'll make yourself open to it. It's interesting, Psalm 42 begins as a psalm of lament. You know, it begins as a deer longs for water, so my soul rests for you, O God. Day and night I have only tears for my food. My heart is breaking as I remember how things used to be. But then it breaks into, in an incongruous way, into this wonderful psalm of joy. Let's look at it with the, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. Sin is serious business, and the only way we can overcome it is through the grace of Jesus Christ. Fix our eyes on him, and once again we can smile. And yes, laugh, and indeed rejoice. And that really has to do with the grace. Let's dive a little further into the grace here. The gospel empowers us to laugh about God's grace. Now, as I said, the chief ingredient of humor is incongruity. Something unexpected shows up. 
And speaking of something unexpected showing up, I think I showed this a few years ago, and I, I just love this. This is Robinson Cano, who had been with the New York Yankees, and then he got a better offer with the Seattle Mariners, and so he went there. The first time he came back to play against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, people were braced to boo him, right? Well, people on The Tonight Show realized this, and they thought, you know what we'll do? We'll have a cardboard cutout of Robinson Cano that they can go up and boo before the game that night. Yet something incongruous happens that they didn't see or whom they didn't see coming their way. Are you going to boo him? Uh, you know, he won a World Series ring here, but he did leave for the money, so... Why don't you go ahead and give him as many boos as you want? Come on, Robinson. I mean, how many World Series titles do the Mariners have? Oh, come on, boo! You're better than that. You got a, a beard now? You're better than that. Boo! Boo! Oh. Welcome back to New York. Thank you. Uh, whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo! Move. You should go home! Boo! Try booing him one more time. Oh! <laughs> How you doing? Sorry, man. Are you going to boo him? Yes, I am. Boo! All right, well, we actually have this picture of him right behind you, so whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo him as much as you want. Boo, Robinson, you should have stayed here. Winners is in New York, not in Seattle. Try booing him one more time. Boo! Stay in Seattle. We don't need you in New York. Hey! How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Go ahead. Boo him as much as you want. Boo! Boo! Whoa! How you doing? Yeah, thanks good. for the boo. Yeah, well, I, 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 I won't boo you. I won't actually boo you. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be rooting for you to uh, play well, but not win. <laughs> are you going to boo him? Absolutely. All right, well, whenever you're ready, go ahead and uh, boom for as long as you want. Right here? Yep. Boom! 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 Come on, everybody. Boom! Actually, try one more. One more? Yeah. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> Listen, about that, right? Here's what happened. <laughs> That's weird. Only in New York. Only in New York. I swear. What I love is the incongruity. First of all, they did not expect him to actually physically be there, but there's also the incongruity of Robinson Cano being gracious to the booze and, and you know, granting them grace on that. I just love that. Because incongruity happens in a powerful way for you and me when out of the incongruity of our sinfulness we experience the incongruity of grace, that miracle of grace. We come to grips with how depraved and broken and sinful and, and really how undeserving we are and yet God still brings us his amazing grace. Just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, this son who has been so wayward who does not deserve any forgiveness, but that's exactly what the father offers him is this extravagant forgiveness and grace. It's outrageous. It's really laughable. It's radical. And it's laughable that this God who orchestrated the entirety of existence, the entirety of the universe, cared enough about you and me that he sent his son who stepped out of eternity and into the reality of our lives and showed us this love, this love that desires a relationship with us. And he wants us to feast on that grace, wants to feast on it with joyful hearts. Look at Proverbs 15, 15. I love this. 
says, for the despondent, every day brings trouble. But here's the incongruity. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. He wants us to feast on his grace. And some people desperately need that grace to feast on. It reminds me of Larry Crabb, who's one of the pioneers in, in Christian counseling. Had a dear friend who went to him and was just really struggling. And just they talked informally, and this guy talked about when he was 10 years old. He, he grew up in a family that just had a lot of anger going on all the time. He said mealtimes were the worst time. He said they would just sit there either in an angry silence, he said, or it would be this, this noisily sarcastic uh, tone at the table. But when he was 10, he learned about this new family that, that moved into this old-fashioned house down the street. And every time he passed by there, he would hear laughter in there. And he wound up starting to excuse himself from the dinner table as soon as he could without getting yelled at, and he would. He would run down and literally crawl under the front porch of that home and just sit there and listen to this family at mealtime, just laughing it up, having a wonderful time, and just sitting down there yearning for that kind of grace-giving context. And Larry listened to him, and he said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to imagine that you're sitting there under that porch, and, and the father who's in that household down, seated at the table, sends his son out to get you under the house and brings you into the house and invites you to sit there at the table. And I want you to imagine yourself accidentally spilling a glass of water all over yourself and the father just booms out in laughter and says, get this boy another glass of water and get him a new shirt <laughs> and... and I just want to see him enjoy this meal. And they all laugh about it. And the man said, that is what I've always yearned for. That's what I've always yearned for. There are people who are desperate out there to hear our loving fathers laugh. They need to hear his laughter of grace. And that grace, when we experience, we really experience eternity. And that's my final point. The gospel empowers us to laugh about eternal life together. You know, laughter is like eternity. You've heard me say that before. It's like eternal life. Eternity, the word eternitas literally means timelessness. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean forever, though it encompasses forever, but even more, it means timelessness. Eternity, we can go there when we get to heaven, but even now we can be transported to that place where time and space just don't seem to exist when we have marvelous mountaintop experiences. And think about it when you laugh, when you really do laugh, and I mean laugh hard. As you're convulsing in laughter, you are transported to a timeless place. You're transported to a place where nothing matters. It's like being in heaven where there are no more tears and no more illness and no more pain and no more sorrow, no more confusion. You're transported to a foretaste of heaven. Well, there's one thing that can be said about all of us. The older you get, the closer you are to eternity, right? I remember loving reading an article about a woman who was about to celebrate her 100th birthday, and they asked her, the reporter asked her if there was anything that got easier as she aged, and she quipped very quickly, well, there's a lot less peer pressure. I thought that was great. (laughs) It was a 2011 study that looked at people in different age phases and and they decided who are the happiest people Did anybody know this it says american this 2011 study the, the americans who are most happy are those who are between 75 and 79 anybody want to anybody does that include anybody anybody want to confess it okay don't worry about it okay now 
<laughs> one more video. <laughs> one of my favorites. I'm not sure if this couple falls in that range or not. They might, they might not. But I love this. They're invited to do a commercial for a local diner, and the husband is asked by the director to describe a chicken pot pie as baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Can you say that with me? Baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Let's see how he does. The line is baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Baked in a buttery fl- crust. Baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Baked in a buttery, flavored crust. Uh, crust. Yeah. Baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Baked in a buttery, flaky, flaky crust. Here we go. Here we go. Baked in a buttery, crispy crust. Flaky. I like flaky all again. <laughs> See, sure they have that cute pad up there. Baked in a buttery. Okay. Baked in a buttery, uh, crispy crust. Damn. Flaky. I thought I said flaky. Okay. <laughs> Baked on a buttery, flaky crust. You should have had me do that. Oh, yeah, she does that good. Baked in a buttery, flaky. Baked on a buttery, crispy crust. Right. Crispy, okay. Yeah. <laughs> crispy. Flaky. Flaky. Three smiles flaky. looking at the oh camera. God. <laughs> Baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Did I screw up again? Yes, you did. I did? Yeah. Big smile. Baked in a buttery, flavored. Flaky. Flaky. Baked in a buttery, flaky flaky crust. Okay, here we go. Baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Back. Baked in a bait. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Baked in a buttery, crispy flight. <laughs> Jack, blow You two in the back, you want to be in a television commercial? <laughs> Can you save a line, ma'am? Baked in a buttery, flaky crust. Yahoo! As you were laughing, not much mattered, did it? It's a foretaste of eternity. Now, I'm not saying that we have that kind of joy that denies the difficulties of life. Blake put that beautifully in his community prayer. Jesus was joyful. There's a fascinating passage, Hebrews 1.9. And this is describing Jesus as the high priest. The you here is Jesus. God has anointed you, Jesus, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Jesus was the most joyful person. I love the way John Piper puts it, and I think I've got the quote up there. Uh, Let's see. Jesus Christ is the happiest being in the universe. His gladness is greater than all the angelic gladness of heaven. He mirrors perfectly the infinite, holy, indomitable mirth of his Father. And you might say, well, wait, doesn't the Bible also say he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief? Well, of course. Of course he was. But Piper goes on, and I like what he says here secondly. Christ was complex, but he was not confused. There were divergent notes in the music of his soul, but the result was a symphony. Through the agonies of Gethsemane and Golgotha, Jesus was sustained by indestructible 
joy. And he wants you and me to be sustained by that kind of indestructible joy that he had and continues to have. And ultimately, it is indestructible because it leads to eternity, that great theologian of hope of the 20th century, Jürgen Moltmann, has written volumes on the theology of hope. But you can really sum it up to one thing he said one time, which is this, God weeps with us so that we may someday laugh with him. We can laugh because we've been restored. We've been able to come back home to the home at the meal place of that loving father. I love Psalm 126. This was written when the ancient Israelites who had been scattered due to the the horrors of the Babylonian exile were able to come home. And it's powerful. They're getting to come home. And it says this, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, to home, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. That was when they got to come home from the exile at the hands of the Babylonians. Well, brothers and sisters, after our exile of fallenness, when we created distance between ourselves and God the Father, even now when we create distance between ourselves from God the Father, out of that exile because of His grace, if we only make ourselves open to it, we can come home again, and there will be joy. There will be laughter. So as we go into the world, Paul tells us to be what for Christ? Fools for Christ. It reminds me of rodeo clowns. You ever seen rodeo clowns? You ever seen a rodeo and you got these guys? And when I was a kid, I used to think they were so silly, you know, having these broncos, having these steers come at them such a dangerous way. And I thought, that, wow, these guys are just silly. And then I realized they are literally rescuing people who have fallen. That's our job. <laughs> Fools for Christ. Clowns for His sake and for his glory let's pray together out of weeping out of sadness out of illness out of grief out of all of this comes joy O oh god we can anticipate even now the laughter of eternity because you offer it to us even now thank you that eternal life really begins now and we can seek it out in the everydayness of this world particularly when we seek you out we thank you O god for the laughter of grace the incongruity of it and yet you love us in spite of ourselves we give you thanks and we ask that we can come home again especially if there's anyone in the room right now who needs to come back to you to come back home that they would do just that that they might experience your joy once again. We pray these things in your name. Amen.